Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 216, where we will be picking things up in chapter 18 of the book of John. And it says in verse 1, well, this is uh, entitled Jesus Betrayed. It says in verse 1, after Jesus said these things, remember, he was dropping a lot of things on the disciples. He knows that uh, the end of his time on earth here is coming. And so he's making sure that the disciples um, understand all of the important things that they need to understand. And so it says, after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, uh, where, they, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. I've always wondered, when Judas was coming with these uh, uh, with the soldiers, if you will, from the chief priests, uh, and they were carrying all the stuff and with weapons. I was wondering, what were the other disciples thinking when they saw Judas with these other guys? Did it, did it hit them that he was about to betray Jesus? I was just, I've just always been curious about that. Verse six, when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. I've also wanted to you know, have an accurate vision and depiction about this particular scripture. You know, Jesus says, I am he, then they fall back and fall to the ground. If, you know, it, it happened the way I think it happened, it seemed to me that would have been a signal to those uh, who fell back and fell down. We, we can't mess with this Jesus guy. We got to get out of here. But that's not what they did. Verse 7, then they asked him again, who is it that you are seeking? Then he asked them again, who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Verse 8, I told you I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. He's talking about his disciples. If you're looking for me, then let my boys, let my partners go. This was to fulfill, this was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Remember he was, when he was praying and praying to the Father, and Father, he was saying to the Father, the ones you have given me, I've lost none except for the one who betrayed me. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut his ear off. Uh, and it doesn't account for it in this gospel, but in, in was it Mark? I forget which gospel uh, book it was in. Um, Jesus told Peter to chill out and took the ear and put it back on the guy. In verse 11, at that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. I am, am I not to drink the cup? Uh, am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? <clears throat> at this point, I'm convinced that the disciples still don't know what's going on. Jesus arrested and taken to honest. Then the company of the soldiers, then the company of soldiers, the commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, uh, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews it would be better for one man to die for the people. So remember, Caiaphas was saying it would be better for Jesus to die for everybody, not realizing that he was, in fact, prophesying what would happen. Peter denies Jesus in verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. Don't know who that other disciple was. 
This is the only mention in any of the gospel books that there was another disciple besides Peter uh, that was following Jesus. That disciple was an acquaintance. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So again, we see that there are followers of Jesus all over the place, even amongst the Pharisees, associates of the Pharisees, but they didn't make themselves known for fear of retribution. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went to Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, Peter said. And then we go, and it says in verse 19, Jesus comes before Annas. And so when Peter denied Jesus, that was his first denial. Remember, Jesus said that you would deny me three times before the rooster crows. In verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. And so the priests were questioning Jesus about his teachings. And Jesus is, is responding, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews gathered. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. <laughs> this is a reasonable response. You're, you're asking me about what I've done and everything I've done has been in public. Why are you asking me this? In verse 22, when he said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas uh, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so I think Annas knew that he was probably out of his league trying to deal with Jesus. And so he had him bound and sent him to Caiaphas. After all, Caiaphas was the high priest. And he was not. Peter denies Jesus twice more. In verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, aren't you one of his disciples too? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> interesting, said, didn't I see you uh, with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately the rooster crowed. So here we have three denials uh, by Peter that he knew Jesus. And in the other accounts and the other books of the gospel, it said Peter ran away and he wept, bitterly wept because he realized that what Jesus had said in one of the other gospel books, uh, this, this denial was done within Jesus's uh, uh, presence. Uh, and then Jesus turned and looked at Peter when he denied him the third time. <clears throat> Jesus before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas uh, to the governor's headquarters. So Pilate came out and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered them. They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told him, you take him and judge him according to your law. And here's where the Jews reveal themselves. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. And so we see that the Jews had no interest in justice here. They had no interest in, in doing anything remotely considered right. All they wanted to do was have Jesus executed so that he can get out of their hair. In verse uh, 33, then Pilate went back into the headquarters and summoned Jesus. He said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? <clears throat> Pilate said, 
Are you a king then? You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. So Jesus is telling them what his mission is and why he's there. I've come here to tell you the truth. Everyone is of the truth, listens to my voice. Everyone who is interested in the truth, everyone who is sincerely interested in what the truth is, the truth to life, the truth to the meaning of life, the truth to why we're here, you know, all truth. Anybody who's interested in truth, Jesus says, listens to my voice. Are you one who is seeking the truth? If you are sincerely seeking the truth, you will only find the answer in Jesus. You will not find the answer anywhere else. I can tell you that. And in verse 38, Pilate has an interesting response. You know, and I think it's a very, I think it's a very insightful response. Pilate says, what is truth? You know, there are many people that believe that absolute truth doesn't exist. And so truth is however you define it. Like people will say, this is my, let me tell you my truth, or this is my truth. There's no such thing as my truth or your truth or her truth or their truth. There is the truth. You know, truth is not individualized. You know, truth is not conditional. Truth is truth. See? But people think they can define their own truth. This is what I believe to be true. That is what I believe to be true. Therefore, it's true. No. Jesus defines what truth is. Truth is truth. It's not conditional. It doesn't change. It doesn't vary. It's not subject to time, place, or distance. Truth is truth. Jesus or Barabbas. Barabbas. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging this man. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, Pilate went away, talked to Jesus. They had this dialogue. Pilate comes back and says, look, I find nothing wrong with this guy. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. Uh, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, remember, Barabbas was a he was a rabble browser and he was a murderer. You know, he was a true criminal, but they'd rather have the criminal released than Jesus because they wanted Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to be um, in captivity, you know, in prison. They wanted him dead. They wanted him killed. Jesus flogged and mocked. We're in chapter 19 right now. And it says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, why? Pilate found nothing wrong in him. He found no wrong in him. He found him guilty of nothing. nothing. Yet, he had him flogged. Now, don't, don't underestimate this word flogged. This was painful. This was, this was being whipped. And not only whipped, you know, they might have had barbs on the whips you know, pointed barbs on the whip so that when you got whipped in the back and pulled the whip away, flesh came with it. See, this was pulling flesh from the, from the bone, from the spine, as you got whipped. This was no joke. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. Remember, purple is the, is the color of royalty, so they were mocking him. 
You know, they gave him a crown of thorns. They put it on his head so it dug into his flesh. He started bleeding, and then he, they put a purple robe on him. And they kept, uh, they kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. This is, uh, this is total mocking. You know, this is total mocking. Yeah, you say you're a king, whatever. Here, here's your robe, here's your crown, as we, you know, slap you. Remember, being slapped was a form of total and complete disrespect. And as it is today, like if you get punched in the face, that's one thing. If you get slapped, that is like <laughs> that is total disrespect, total disregard for you. Pilate went outside again and said to them, look, I am bringing him, bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here's the man. Pilate is essentially saying to them as he brings Jesus out, here's your king. And so Pilate is mocking him as well. Pilate sentences Jesus to death. In verse 6, when the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. (laughs) Remember, in a crowd of people, when that crowd gets aroused, then there's basically no turning that crowd back. They just amp it up, amp it up, amp it up, amp it up. So they're saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. But I did find grounds to have him flogged and my soldiers beat him. Verse 7, we have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he ought to die because he himself Uh, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. So this implies that Pilate was afraid, was already afraid, you know, and we can see glimpses of his fear in the way he was talking to and responded to Jesus, even though he did some things that didn't make any sense. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So Jesus is telling Pilate, you know, the ones who handed handed me over to you, the Jews, they have a greater sin, but that doesn't mean you're sinless in this. That doesn't mean you're without guilt. You have lesser guilt, but you have guilt. In verse 12, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted. So I can imagine Pilate's resp- response when Jesus told him this. He's like, I got to get this guy off the hook. I got to. <laughs> and so from that moment, he kept trying, you know, different strategies and schemes to release Jesus. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So we see that it seems like the Jews are sensing that Pilate is trying to let Jesus out, let him off, you know, so he doesn't have to get harmed or anything like that. So they draw the trump card, right? They say, oh, we see what you're trying to do, Pilate, uh, but we're going to make a petition to Caesar, to Caesar, to Caesar, to Caesar, you know, that what you're trying to do. 
See, because Jesus is proclaiming he's a king, which means that, you know, from our perspective anyway, he's opposing Caesar and he's opposing Caesar. And if he's opposing Caesar and your view, you, Pilate, are viewed as supporting Jesus, then by extension, you, Pilate, are opposing Caesar. And therefore, you could be convicted of treason. You could be, you know, killed, this, that, and the other. You could be executed. In verse 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's seat in the place called Stone Pavement. Then he told the Jews, here's your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he, Pilate, handed him over to be crucified. So then Pilate essentially convicted him of being guilty and handed him over to be crucified. So we see that Pilate, from my perspective, is somewhat of a sympathetic character because he's trying to get Jesus off the hook, if you will, but he's placed in a position where he's feeling that his own mortality could be threatened if the Jews go ahead and report him to Caesar. And so he's doing what he thinks is necessary to be done in order to save his behind. That's what it boils down to. The crucifixion in verse 18. They crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And I, have, I, have, uh, I haven't uh, acknowledged this or seen this before. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And so the sign that said king of the Jews was written in three languages. And this was to make sure that everybody could read it. <laughs> in verse 21, so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate replied, I have written what I have written. <laughs> He's just, Pilate is saying, too bad. That's the way it is. It's going to say king of the Jews in three languages so everybody can read it. And I ain't changing it. In verse 23, then the soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes and divided them into four parts. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it and see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled uh, that says they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Jesus's provisions for his mother. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, um, were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And there are a lot of Marys in here. <clears throat> when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, this is presumed to be John, the author of this uh, gospel book. Um, that's kind of, if John is the author, author of the book, he doesn't write his name. He doesn't say when Jesus saw his mother and me standing there. He says when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, referring to himself. He said to his mother, woman, here's your son. Then he said to the, to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now remember, crucifixion was a slow process. 
It was a slow and painful process, typically lasting two or three days, you know, as the, as the people were uh, uh, attached to the cross, being hung by the cross. Uh, and so a very slow process. And so there's time to dialogue with people on the ground as you're slowly dying. <laughs> and so this is when he had this conversation. The finished work of Jesus. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. This is interesting. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished. So I can imagine Jesus was hanging on the cross there, you know, reviewing, thinking about uh, the three years. You know, he started his ministry at about 30 and now he's 33. And so he's, he's reviewing these three years of everything that has taken place. And he's satisfied that what I have come to do has been completed thus far. There's just one final step that's going to take place in a few moments. And so it says that everything, uh, when Jesus knew that everything was finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he's reviewing this stuff, reviewing the scripture in his mind. Yep, everything is completed except the last step, the final step. Uh, so as he's doing this, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. Uh, so they fixed a sponge full of, uh, full of sour wine uh, on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And so this sour wine was a form of um, an uh, anesthetic, you know, so that the pain would be dulled. And so they, they, they put it on a sponge, put it on the branch, held it up to his mouth. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, now, in the other accounts of the scripture, it says he partook of the wine and then he spit it out you know, realizing uh, what it was. And he didn't, because he didn't want his senses to be dulled. Uh, not only that, if we recall, when he told the disciples, he told disciples when they were having, a, I think it was the Last Supper, and uh, partaking of the bread of the wine, that he would not drink wine again until he drank it with them in his kingdom in, in, the, in, the, in the time to come. And so maybe that had something to do with it as well. But uh, in John's account here, there's no uh, accounting for him uh, partaking of the wine and then spitting it out. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now that was the final step for him to actually die in order for all scripture to be fulfilled. Jesus' side pierced. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. And so what's happening here is uh, people's legs would support them on the crucifixion cross. And so if you break the legs, then they could no longer support themselves and the full body weight would be hang, uh, of their bodies would be hanging on the cross and they would die more rapidly, more quickly. And so they break the legs in order uh, to accelerate the death because they didn't want the bodies hanging there on the Sabbath because of dead body, the aroma, the odor. And so they just, they wanted it hastened. They wanted the process hastened. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. For these things happened so that the scripture 
uh, would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And so we see that in Exodus and in Numbers and in Psalms where it proclaims that not one of his legs will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. And so all of these Old Testament scriptures are referring to Jesus foretelling what will happen to him, that not one of his bones will be broken, and, uh, but that he will be pierced. Jesus' burial. In verse 38, it says, After this, Joseph of uh, Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus. Now remember, Joseph was a Pharisee as well, but a, a secret a follower of Jesus, uh, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, he was also a secret follower, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And so remember, you know, when the body starts to decompose after death, it starts to have an aroma. And so they would have the myrrh and aloes uh, for the burial so that it, there wouldn't be a stench or that the stench would be covered up. They took Jesus' Jesus's body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the, fragrance, with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place uh, where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. And so we see here as you know, we're going through the last gospel, here's the gospel of John. And uh, so we see slightly different accounts of these events. And so, but the themes, the major events are all the same. And, uh, and so that's what happens when you have eyewitness testimony. Not everything is going to be identical. And, and, and so we see that John's here account uh, is slightly different because in, in two of the other books, it is presumed that they were sourced from the book of Mark. And so Matthew and Luke, uh, scholars think that they source some of their accountings from the book of Mark. And so you have a lot of similarity between those three. But John is written by John. He's not referring to anybody else or anything else except his memory. And so um, we see this slightly different account, but the major themes are the same. And so with that, we are done for the day. And uh, again, as we go to um, uh, Romans chapter 10, and Jesus' invitation. Let me just read, you know, uh, from verse 9 through verse 13. It says, The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We see some very important themes here. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. God is not playing favorites as far as peoples are concerned. You know, it says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will not be put to shame and you will be saved. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter what race you are, black, white, Indian, Asian. It's, a, it's totally and completely irrelevant. What God is looking for is the confession and the sincere belief that Jesus was sent. 
in order that he might take on the sins of the world so that we would have the opportunity to approach a sinless God. And through that process, we would be saved. The question is, is whether you're going to allow that person to be you. That's the question. That's always the question. We'll pick things up tomorrow and we'll finish God willing, the book of John tomorrow, and we will be uh, finished with all four gospel books tomorrow. And I think uh, the day after tomorrow, I think I might do a gospel summary, uh, just summarizing the main themes of the gospel uh, so that we have a clear picture on Jesus's birth, his, his mission, his death, his purpose, and all of that. Everybody take care, stay safe, be blessed. And God willing, I'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.